um, our scripture reading for today, which comes from uh, the epistle to the Philippians, chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. We're going to read this in the ESV, and there are ESV Bibles in the pews. Uh, there, there's also, um, it's going to be projected uh, behind me. Um, but especially for those who are joining us from home, you may want to look up the scripture on your own, in your own Bible or Bible app, because uh, it might be hard to read. Uh, but again, it's Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We ask that you please stand as able uh, for the reading of God's word. Uh, if you feel comfortable doing this in person or at home, you definitely don't have to do it. But um, yeah, may the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others." Have have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, we have been talking about how we can get deep uh, in our relationship with God, how we can get deep in the things of God. And... um, you know, last week, uh, we were talking about worthy things and this idea of worthship, that we worship that which we find worthy. And I want to kind of continue with that theme because I think there is this question of what are we seeking in our everyday life? What is it that we're actually trying to uh, uh, gain and attain in this world? And I think that in many ways, uh, sometimes we live our lives and it's almost like an autopilot, right? You have these things, expectations from society, you know, that, that you grow up in your, in, in your family and your parents try to raise you the best they can and they send you to school and, and, and you try to get good grades. And then, you know, for, for some of us, we end up, you know, either graduating and getting a job or graduating and, and going to college so that we can get a job, right? And there's this expectation of this kind of like this, this progression in your life, And in many ways, there just seems to be things that are just a given, right? No one really thinks about it, you know? But as you are going, I think as we get further down down this journey, down the line in life, I think probably some of you have already started to question, what is this really about? Is it worthwhile? The things that we're chasing, the things that we're focused on, right? I mean, of course, you know, there are things like money and jobs and things like this, and these things are not bad, right? 
But it does seem like a lot of the things we're doing were never meant to be an end of themselves, in and of themselves, right? And even we hear stories in the Bible where they talk about like, hey, what good does it do if, if you know, just one day God comes for you? And it's like, you know what? I'm going to take you back, right? Your time here on earth is done. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, I just raised up all this money and, you know, I have all this stuff that I've stored up. And God would say to us, you're a fool. Because those things, you can't take them with you. Not permanent, right? And I think that for a lot of us, at some point we start to question, what is it that we're really seeking? What is it that we really want? Right? What is it that's most worthwhile? And so today, friends, I want to get a little bit deeper into that idea of union, because we've talked about this, that the spiritual path that for many thousands of years, the people who have walked this path before us, that they've seen it happening in these kind of three ways. We call it the purgative way, the illuminative way, and the unitive way. Right? So the purgative way is about letting go, emptying yourself, Right? Dying to the way that we used to live, right? And so in many ways, when we are asking, what is it that we're seeking? And maybe we find that what this world is living for and what everyone seems to be living for, we're like, yeah, that's not really it. You know, that, that, that's not worthwhile. Or, or that's not the thing that's most worth living for. I don't want to do that anymore. You know, or maybe you find that your life and the kind of autopilot, there is this thing, this flesh that seems to be in control. And we're like, I don't want that to be in control anymore. I don't want things like fear and anger, these things, these spirits that kind of grip us. I don't want that anymore. That seems to be leading me in a direction. And in many ways, that direction is not where I want to end up. And so we have to purge. We have to die to that. We have to empty that, right? The purgative way. And then there's the illuminative way. Right? So then what else are we going to live for? When we read scripture, when we welcome the Holy Spirit to interact with the words that we're reading, when we are in fellowship together and we have these kind of aha moments, right? These kind of like, these, you know, light bulb moments that ding, where you're like, oh my gosh, this is what I should be living for. Oh man, God is trying to communicate this thing with me and it makes so much sense, right? And, and so the Spirit starts illuminating your soul starts lighting you up from the inside out. And, and you start having God's grace and God's spirit active in your life. And, and so it, it's, that's a really exciting stage. But the last stage where we're trying to end up is this idea of union, right? It's not just God is telling you things or instructing you, but you start merging your life with Christ. You start becoming one with the purposes of God. Right, And so what we see here is we are going to see a little bit of an explanation of what that looks like. And so this is the Apostle Paul talking about this, right? And so he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, comma, then do this, right? So I just want to pause there for a second and just want to say that we have spent a lot of messages during this time. And, and probably, you know, for those of you who have been in the church for a while, there is a lot of energy trying to convince you that this is worth it, right? But on some level, I can't tell you that. You have to experience it. My suspicion is that most people in this room, you've experienced something of God. You know, otherwise, you may not be here, right? You've experienced some of the things that Paul is talking about. Have you experienced any encouragement in Christ? I hope you have. I don't know when it's happened. Maybe it happened at your small group. Maybe it happened in a past service, 
right? Maybe it happened at your home church growing up. That one time at VBS, you know? Uh, I don't know. There's some encouragement that you've received in Christ. I hope we're there, right? So we're going to posit that that's already happened. Any comfort from love, have you felt the love of Christ being shed abroad in your heart? And you're just like, oh man, I've not experienced a love like this. It's so wonderful. If you've experienced that, check, right? Like any, any comfort. It doesn't have to be like a lot of comfort, but just, just like you got the sense like, oh my gosh, God loves me, right? Jesus died for me. You're like, whoa, this is good, right? Any participation in the spirit. Have you ever been in a worship setting or been in a small group and you just felt like you are a part of something bigger? Have you ever felt like you're not just cosmic dust? You're not just a cosmic accident. You're not just matter that is just going to decay, but you get this sense that you are a part of something bigger. The spirit. You have been given a spirit, and there is a Holy Spirit that we get to participate in, right? And I think most people have experienced this. We know on some level that the narrative that we are just stuff, and we're just going to rot and decay and just go into the dirt and be food for worms, it's not true, right? There's something bigger, something beyond us. Any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, Right? Any kind of affection, right? Anything that has affected you, that you felt love, that you felt connected to other people, have you felt any of that? And again, I, I, I hope that we all have, right? And so what this is, is to say that you've gotten a taste of where we're going, right? And if you've gotten a taste that this is worthwhile, Paul's like, we got to go all the way now, Okay? Right? This is what we've been talking about this whole semester, going deep. Because I think in many ways, there are a lot of people who've experienced these things, and they don't go deeper. Why? It's almost like we're like consumers, right? Like you go to the restaurant of God's grace, and you taste it at times. You're like, oh, man, that was such a good meal. Mm, mm, it was good. Like, thank you for that grace. Thank you for that love. Thank you for that encouragement. And then we're like, okay, bye now. You know, you don't go there every day right? In some ways, you don't want to. You don't want to live your life at that restaurant, right? And that's the way a lot of us treat God's grace and and the Christian life and, and life in Christ. It's not life in Christ. It's life by Christ sometimes. Life driving by, you know, visiting for a time the things of Christ. But then we go back to the real world, so to speak. Right? We go back and we start doing the things that we normally do, which is just basically living for yourself, living for the material, right? just living for these momentary pleasures, living for security, right? and all of these things. And so Paul's like, do you want to go deeper? I want you to make my joy complete. You know what? Not only that, I want you to make your joy complete. And by the way, if you can make my joy complete, that's part of the thing. Right? Because we're in this together. You're not just one human being and you just kind of carve out life for yourself. That is the lie that we're fighting. And, and what happens is that if you have seven, eight billion people all living their own agenda and they only care about themselves, this world is ruined. <laughs> You're going to have so much heartache, so much war, so much inequality, right? so much xenophobia, so much tribalism, racism. That's what we see. But Paul is like, we need to go deeper. Have you experienced any of these things of Christ? 
then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What is he talking about, guys? What is he talking about? I, I, I did you a solid. I pointed it out. I wrote it really, really big at the top. He's talking about union, isn't he? Right? He's not just talking about, hey, experience good things about Christ and try really hard to be a better person. That's what, that's just, that's all we think Christianity is. But there were saints for hundreds, if not thousands of years, who knew there was something bigger. You could actually be united with the Spirit of Christ. You could have the same mind, the same love, right? You, you, you could have the same joy, right? And that's where we're trying to go. So how do we do that? Well, friends, I'm glad you asked. And this is what he talks about. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So friends, um, this just sounds like just very standard things that we've heard in terms of like, yeah, man, don't be so selfish. (laughs) Don't just look out for yourself. You don't need to be a Christian to believe in that. But the problem is, is that you could say that, and you could say that's a good thing, but that is not our default setting, right? I've heard so many inspirational talks I've heard so many graduation speeches and all these things where they're like, hey, you know what? Don't just live for yourself. Like, go serve the world, right? It sounds great. But when you look at this world, I already pointed this out. Is that what you see? Do you see 8 billion people serving the world? Or do you see 8 billion agendas? Now, it's not to say that not everyone thinks this way, that there are some people who think more than about themselves, but come on, let's look at America. Where are we right now? And this is the question that we have to ask ourselves. We need to take a good, hard look in the mirror. As Christ followers, is this the message you've been told your whole life? Have you been told that the goal is for you to be one in Christ, one in purpose with Christ, one in love with Christ, And ultimately, that means we don't live for ourselves anymore. We're not just living for our own interests. We actually are supposed to consider other people above ourselves. Why? Because that's what Christ does, right? And so if we want to be united in purpose with God, that's where we need to be. Friends, I see a church nowadays that is not built around that and the purposes of Christ. It's built around the cult of the individual. Even like churches, I mean, so much of what we do is we create churches that are going to attract people, right? I mean, we call it consumer Christianity. We're trying to create a product where you're going to feel comfortable, where you're going to come in and you're like, oh, man, this is like the Goldilocks church for me, you know? Like, like the, the messages are like challenging, not too challenging, you know? The challenges are like fuzzy, not too fuzzy, 
you know? Like, like the, the music, like, like it's, it's not too loud. It's not too rock heavy. It's not too traditional, right? And we're just trying to find the right church that fits us. And there's so many people around who are just trying to be like, yeah, 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 come to church, come to church. Yeah, come, come and be comfortable. We're going to make you as comfortable as possible. And I wonder if we have lost the sense in which we understand that the goal is that we are to become like Christ. We are trying to call people to not live for themselves anymore. Not just for yourselves. I mean, you have to live for yourself because, you know, you got to eat. You got to take care of your family. Of course you live for yourself, right? It says here, let each of you look not only to his own interests, because it's given. You're going to live for your interests. Of course you are, but not just for that, right? You got to live for something greater. You also need to look at the interests of others, right? And so then, again, I I highlighted this because I want you to see this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the gift that Jesus is trying to give you. He's trying to give you his mind. And in the Hebrew worldview, mind is not just here. Mind is also your emotions. It's your thoughts and emotions, how you think, how you feel in this world. Christ is trying to give you that. And we need to become united with that because for most of us, we're not. Again, I'm not telling anyone anything that you don't know, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But for most of us, I think the best we can do is acknowledge our selfishness in most cases. And we're like, yeah, you know, we all live for ourselves. We're being really honest, right? It's all self-interest. And we fight it, right? We fight it. And we're like, I know I shouldn't do that, Right? And, and I think that's, that's a really good step to say, wow, I'm so selfish. I live for myself all the time. I'm always thinking about myself. I'm always preoccupied with myself. I'm always worried about what other people think about me. I'm always worried if I'm getting mine and it just seems like other people are getting ahead of me or they're getting things that I'm not getting and that doesn't seem fair to me. Isn't that how we all live? And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not Christian. We all live that. And the best Christians kind of do, I think at times, is we're just like, yeah, I shouldn't do that. I do that. But I shouldn't. But this is calling us to something greater. It's that you have a different mind. You have a different way of thinking. You have a different way of feeling. That instead of thinking, man, I need to get mine. I need to get what's coming to me. I need to make sure that I get as much as everyone else, if not more. Because who else is going to look out for me? Everyone else is doing that. And so if I don't look out for me, then I'm going to lose out. Right? Isn't that how we think? But for Jesus, Jesus was in the form of God. Jesus was divine, right? That's what we believe. But he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. If you guys see your footnote in the Bible, when it says that he did not see it as a thing to be grasped, what it's talking about here is a thing that we hold on to for our own benefit and advantage, right? That's the way most of us think of things, right? So you go out, you get a job, and you make some money. Okay, whose money is that? For most of us, this is the way we think of it. I earned that money. Because I'm a doctor, lawyer, banker, teacher, whatever, right? Because of this, this is something that I deserve. Now, I'm going to use this for my own advantage, Right? Why wouldn't I? That's what everybody does. So I'm going to go buy what I want to buy 
right? I'm going to go spend it on what I want to spend it on. If I want to save it, I'm going to save it. If I want to give it to someone, I'm going to give it to someone. But I get to decide that. It's mine, right? But look at this. Jesus was God. He has everything. He has everything. He has every right. He could have every advantage. But instead of claiming that for his own and for his own advantage and being like, yo, you're all going to serve me. What does he do? He empties himself. This is the very fact of what we call the incarnation. We're in this season of, that we're getting closer to Christmas and is one of the great mysteries. It breaks the brain if you think about it. But this is a central event for humanity. God became flesh. What does that mean? That means he left behind a lot of the trappings and advantages of divinity. Jesus came to this world and I like to say that, like, you know, when it talks about him being born in a manger, right, you guys know what that is, right? It's a barn, right? One of the first things, the son of God, who was divine, the king of all glory, one of the first things he did when he breathed in this air is he breathed in the air of animal poop. Wow. <laughs> You ever think of it like that? I mean, Jesus came into this world, and like all kids, I wonder if he cried. I know, I know you sing that, like, silent night, like Jesus, Jesus, perfect baby. He didn't, you know, cry. It doesn't say that in scripture. That's just our, you know, we, we just put that on Jesus. I don't know. I don't know if he cried. I mean, was he cold? Yeah. Was it difficult? Did he hurt? Did Jesus fall down and bruise his knee? I'm sure he did. He didn't need to do any of that. But he emptied himself of all of the advantages of being God. And not only that, he could have been like not just a man, but the best man, right? He could have been the ruler of all this earth. And if you're going to live on earth, you might as well live in style. But that wasn't Jesus. He took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus came here to serve. He didn't just come to be like us and to experience our pain. He did that. I know that's something we sometimes emphasize. That's not bad, but even greater. He came to serve us. It breaks the brain, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that I think had problems with this throughout the centuries. They're like, no, 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 no. God is way up there. God is so much greater God doesn't serve us. That's actually selfish for you to think that. Who are you to think that God would serve you? It's so arrogant, right? That means you think you are greater than God. Of course you're not greater than God. So how crazy is that? That God's son came to serve you, right? He emptied himself. He, he, be, he was born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, right, with all of our mortality. He could bruise, he could bleed, and then he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because you guys know, death on a cross was, it was shameful. It was painful. It was a form of corporal punishment. And Jesus did all of that, right? So what are we talking about here? Union with Christ? People have always understood this. But we've started to de-emphasize it in this day and age, because we just hear what we want to hear. We like to pick and choose the parts that we like, right? The parts of the gospel that we like, right? And we love the resurrection. 
We love like, you know, and by the fact, but by the way, we love the fact that Jesus died for us. We're like, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, my friend. Because we're like, thank you that you died and I didn't have to die. Thank you that you died, my friend. But yo, what is it saying here? What is the goal? The goal isn't that you're just thankful that Jesus did something you don't have to do. It's union. What does that mean? It's all over scripture, right? It's not a secret. We just like to de-emphasize these things. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Take up your cross daily. You need to learn how to die. You need to learn how to sacrifice. Why? Because that's what I did. You need to learn humility. You need to learn to empty yourself. And so many of us, that's not the way we live, even Christians. We have Christians that are grabbing everything that they can. We love heaven because heaven comes after earth. Heaven comes after we die. And we've emphasized heaven so much that it almost seems like we can just ignore what happens here on earth. And, and, and not ignore it, but that we get to have earth. Jesus, you have heaven, I'll get earth. So I'll get to live however I want. I'll be as selfish as I want. I'll grab everything I want. I'll get all the power I want. And then I'll die because I believed in you and I'll get to you know, go to the happy place, right? That's not what it says. It says, make my joy complete. Unite yourself with Christ and his purposes. That means you need to learn how to be humble, how to be empty, and how ultimately, I mean, for lack of a better way, friends, I don't know how else to say it, how to die. I mean, you're all going to die anyways, right? You guys know that. So what are you living for? What, what is your life about? It's about just making yourself comfortable until one day they're pouring dirt over your coffin, right? Is, is that the point of life? Or that we unite ourselves to something bigger and to something that's ultimately eternal? If this is the life that Christ lived, is that the life that you now want? Because by the way, right, I mean, the second part of it is pretty darn great. And this part, again, we, we like to ignore the middle parts, but we like this part too. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a, a mystery here, friends. Jesus' death Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' humility, Jesus' service to the world is glorious. God exalts that. And in many ways, you know, I, I, I've heard these kinds of things before, but something that really kind of like broke me was I, I heard um, Dallas Willard talking about the life of Jesus. And he was talking to this one pastor who was in a, a, another country, not, not America, and this pastor was just like really serious, just like really grim all the time. Hey, living life for Christ, right? You got to die. Right? It's a serious business. And, and Dallas Willard, I mean, he was a very gentle man, so he wasn't rebuking him. Oftentimes when he would talk to people, he would put his hands behind his back. And so he's talking to this pastor, this very serious pastor. And he's like, do you think 
Jesus was depressed? It's like, do you think that he was like dour? Like, like his face was, was like, like downcast all the time? You know, I, I know we sing that song, man of sorrows. Man of sorrows. We're, we're not saying man of sorrow, right? What is the sorrows? Jesus went through troubles, right? But maybe some of you guys have read that or, or, or sung that as man of sorrow, right? Was Jesus a man of sorrow? Was he sad all the time? And so this was Dallas Willard's question. How do you picture Jesus? When you picture Jesus, is he smiling? I, I think I've shared this before. I was watching uh, The Chosen, uh, which is this wonderful show. I think all, all three seasons are on Amazon Prime. If you guys have Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free. And it, it's a depiction of the life of Jesus and especially the disciples. And there's this one scene after uh, the woman who has been bleeding her whole life has been uh, uh, cured of that, that she goes and washes in uh, the, the kind of like public sea, the public beach for the first time because she never wanted to go there, right, for obvious reasons. And she's there in the water, and then she sees all the disciples coming. And she starts to like get out of the water because she's like afraid that they're coming to like be like, yo, no, like, like what if you still have like residues of the blood? Get out. So she's like, oh, oh. But then she sees the disciples and Jesus, and they all speed up, and they start running. And they all, like, jump into the water. They're doing, like, cannonballs, you know? And, and they're there, like, they're splashing, and they're laughing. And I, I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, maybe it's just the way I was raised and the way that I read these stories. I was like, what? Like, do you ever imagine Jesus playing and laughing like, in The Chosen, there, there's this one scene where he's, like, playing a game with the disciples, and Jesus is really bad at the game. He keeps losing. And I'm like, okay, first of all, I think Jesus would win. Again, what is our picture of Jesus? Or Jesus would be like, no, 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 I got to go heal people. I, I got to go perform some miracles. I don't have time for this game, right? And I'm like, this is so wild. Like, I never think about this, right? But this idea that we get to share in the glory there is this idea that what Jesus has done for us is a life of joy. When Jesus went to the cross, of course there was pain. Of course there was sorrow. But have you ever sacrificed something for someone that you love? Like, really? Like, you paid your good, hard-earned money, and it was painful when you bought this gift for someone. But it's someone you love, and you bought that. And I think for a lot of you, yeah, there's a little bit of pain. You're like, oh, man, this costs so much money but there's also this very deep joy, right? You're like, man, they're going to love it. I'm so glad that I got to do this. There are some people who give gifts like that, and they don't even want people to know. They don't want people to know, because it, it almost like spoils it in some way, because it, it almost seems like you're doing it in a reciprocal way, because you just want them to praise you, right? You want them to be like, thank you, you're so great. And, and it says, in, and Jesus has said this, you've got your reward from that, right? That has become uh, just an exchange, right? I give you something, and then you give me your, your undying gratitude or whatever, right? But there's some people, man, when they give, they do it anonymously. They don't want anyone to see the only one who sees is God. The only joy they feel is the pure joy of knowing that I am living in union with the way of Christ. It's so pure. It's so beautiful, right? 
And so, friends, these are the questions we have to ask ourselves. What is the best possible life? What are we living for? And so I asked this, friends. I wanted to do this message. It's a very different kind of message than what we've done before, right? Where, you know, I thought about, like, oh, I wanted to give you, like, three steps to how we can, you know, live this kind of life or how we can empty ourselves. And there might be time for that, friends. But I just wanted us to kind of just meditate on what this looks like for us to be united with the way of Christ. And I do want you, in some ways, to feel that tension, that this is the life that is being thrown out there as the exemplar life, as the best life. And we have to really ask ourselves, is this what we want? And do we believe and know that this is the best possible life? There is uh, uh, one story that happens. Um, we think it was probably towards the end of Jesus' time here on earth. He had been with the disciples for a long time. And he had been preaching, right? I mean, at this point, it's probably three years plus. And he's been telling them about how to live this life, right? Using example after example, sermon after sermon, right? He's been living with them. And I wonder for Jesus, I mean, we don't, I, I don't know this. I don't know this, but I wonder when, like, it's like towards the end of his ministry, and he's sitting around, and he's listening to these side conversations that the disciples are having. And what the Bible tells us is they were arguing about who was the greatest. Can you just see Jesus, like, doing, like, a Jesus-like facepalm, you know? He's just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my dad. <laughs> you guys don't get it. Like, why are you arguing about who's the greatest? Have you not seen my life? Have you not seen the humility? And so Jesus doesn't lecture them. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Jesus isn't like, hey, you guys need to be more humble. No, no, he doesn't do that. You know what he does? He starts unrobing. He takes out his outer garment. He wraps it around his waist. He prepares a basin of water. And he does what a servant would do what in fact a slave would do. And he gets down on his knees and he washes his disciples' nasty, dirty feet. It's so disgusting and so humiliating that Peter, who was you know, thought of by many, like, hey, this is Peter. He's second in command, right? Peter, he's going to be the pillar of the church. Peter's like, Jesus, what are you doing? You can't do this. And what does Jesus say? Peter, if you don't receive this, you have no part of me. You need to know what it's like to be served so you know what it's like to serve. And it wasn't about words at that point. It was just about the experience of let me serve you. It's probably so humiliating. Have you guys ever done a foot washing? I'll be honest. My flesh, yeah, I'm just telling you, Steve Kong, right? I wasn't born Pastor Steve right? Just my flesh, my initial reaction is I hate it. (laughs) I hate feet washing. It's gross, right? I don't want to do it. It's like super awkward. And I've had pastors who are like, get in there, get in between the toes, right? Do it really thoroughly. I'm like, oh my gosh, like your fingers are getting in between the toes. Like, dude, guys, it's so gross, right? That's my flesh. That's my flesh. I went to a men's retreat. This was at KMC Troy, And they wanted to do a foot washing. I was like, 
All right, cool. Right? I'm a pastor. What am I supposed to say? You know? And I got to tell you, when we did that, I mean, this is a bunch of men, right? Again, what are we talking about here? In life, many of us are told that we need to keep climbing. We need to get, keep getting higher. We need to not get softer. We need to get harder, right? We have to become the kinds of people who are strong and independent on our own. In this society, in a lot of the societies that at least I participated in, this message is so hammered home for guys, Don't be soft. Don't be weak. You got to provide for your family. You can't show emotions. You can't show weakness. You don't let other people serve you. You got to be the ones to take care of everything. And there were some guys who like, literally, they're like, Pastor Steve, I know this is a good thing. They're like, I I just don't want to do it. I I just, I just, please, please, please. I just don't want to do it. And some of the guys were like in love. I mean, they didn't do it like an aggressive way. They weren't like, you know, come over here. But they're just like, come on, man. You know, let's, let's all do this together. And these guys, that toughness, that thing that we've learned where we have to be hard and we have to be the ones to take care of everything, we got to hold it all together, it broke. And as they were washing each other's feet, man, these, these men were weeping. That's all they talked about. I mean, there were, there were like a bunch of brothers there. And I read this passage, this very same passage. I preached on this passage. You have to consider others better than yourselves. And I even used the example that I've heard from many people, it is the hardest to do for brothers. <laughs> you know, sometimes younger brothers, older brothers, you have that little bit of rivalry. And there's these two brothers that when they saw where this was going, one of the brothers actually got up and left the room. He went outside. It was in the middle of winter. <laughs> it was like freezing outside, but he'd rather be outside freezing than have to wash his brother's feet. <laughs> and he came back in, and he just was convicted. He was like, I know I got to do this. And like the two brothers locked eyes, and they're just like, <gasps> like they knew they were needed to do it, but they didn't want to, and they did. And we had like a testimony time afterwards. Like, guys, I think I'm an okay preacher. No one talked about my preaching. No one talked about anything we did at retreat. All they talked about was washing each other's feet. That's all they talked about. How powerful it was. How humiliating it was. And yet, there was this thing that broke within them. It was glorious. It was glorious. It was a different kind of life. Friends, this is the humble king. This is the king of all the earth who has come to serve. He came to empty himself. And so friends, we are going to go into a time of communion, right? I mean, we weren't hiding it. This is the goal all along, right? What are we talking about? This isn't a little snack that Jesus gave us. This is the body of Christ. What do you think we are symbolizing? When we eat Jesus's body, and we drink his blood, what is happening? Jesus is becoming a part of you. Jesus is inside of you. It is about union, right? And that is what we are trying to do. And again, at this supper, Jesus was about to go to the cross. Many of the disciples would run away because they couldn't take the pressure, right? There was one disciple who was getting ready to betray Jesus. And Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. 
And this is the body of Christ, which is broken for you. It is broken on the cross. It is pierced with spears. It is pierced with betrayal. He gave up everything for us. And in a similar way, during that meal, he takes the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant. It would have looked like blood. He said, drink it. This is poured out for the forgiveness of sin. My forgiveness is going to become a part of you. And you're going to learn to forgive. And you're going to learn to be people of forgiveness. And all of your sins are going to be washed away by this blood. So friends, can we just pray over these elements, over this cup and this bread, and over this time where we're going to enter into communion. We become one together with Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for the bread. Thank you for the cup. Thank you that you share your life for us. Thank you that you give us this example, Lord. God, when we're being really honest, some of us, Lord, just because of our flesh, because of our sinfulness, God, we don't want to become weak. We don't want to become tied to service and humility and death and sacrifice. And yet, that is what your life was all about. And when you did that for us, it was glorious. And when we learn to do that for one another, when we learn to do that for you, it is equally glorious. So God, we want to come and take of the broken bread, the broken body of Christ, to take of the cup of the blood of Christ, that we become one with you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins, for dying on that cross, for taking on the brokenness of flesh and serving us, Lord. We thank you, God, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And so, friends,